welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Kristen is the 45-year-old author of 2016 book, Selfless, a social worker's own story of trauma and recovery. After surviving adult-onset anorexia, she spent six years establishing a flourishing pet-sitting business. She has since sold her business and returned to the public service, living in Canberra with her husband. Lisa Barlin was destined for the stage, or just for hosting a table at a psychic fair, but ended up a commercial law firm partner, blocking out the voices of dead people in meetings. Long-term Canberran, solicitor, wife, mother of two, magpie whisperer, gin and tea drinker, and star performer of The Lisa Show, Lisa is a lifelong storyteller, but first-time novelist. The reason that I wanted to chat with both of you, you were introduced to me, Kristen, quite a long time ago, but more recently through our common friend, Emma Gray, who's been on the podcast heaps of times. And it's because both of you have done something that I really champion and that I want to see more of out in the world. And that is each of you has written a memoir that is maybe with a little bit of trepidation or fear going into it, which is totally normal, but you were brave enough to actually share the raw, real truth of what you went through. And that's to be applauded, right? Regardless of where things go, being willing to show up in that raw and vulnerable state for the page, that's the real win for a potential reader, not to mention the joy that you, and I say joy (laughs) with a loose sort of definition. I'm positive. It didn't always feel joyful, but maybe let's start there. And either of you can can answer Mm -hmm. when you're ready. But what was the process like for you as you started? You have this idea, I'm going to write my story. Mm -hmm. And then what did it feel like? Like as you started, mm, who wants to go first? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll go first if you like. I started off in the the classic Christian headspace, which is I must do everything by the book. I must do everything perfectly. I must learn all the things before I do the things. Mm. I actually went to university. I got a postgrad. What did I get a postgrad diploma in um, professional writing to learn how to do the writing. The irony of that was, though, is that most of the writing process, I really felt like I was flying by the seat of my pants. So I went through all those motions to feel like I, to make sure that I felt like I knew what I was doing. And I did not feel like I knew what I was doing for one step. (laughs) (laughs) And it took me however long I thought the process was going to take. I probably times that by 10. It was vastly longer. I think I think there was a heck of a lot of trying to figure it out as I go, but there was also an awful lot of procrastination, if I'm being, because it was extraordinarily tough writing to put down on paper and revisiting things that I had worked really hard not to revisit was very, very hard. And I, looking back on it now, I'm really not surprised that I, I put in as much procrastination as I did. It took me four years to write my book, but I... 
I'm coming back to your original question because I feel like I could talk on a tangent for this for ages. <laughs> I feel like the outcome was the, the pride was in the finishing. It yeah. was not the process. The pride was the I did it. And as you were saying before about the the honesty, I was really proud that I was so strict with myself all the way through of I'm going to tell nothing more, nothing less than the truth. Mm. My tr- The truth, as far as I know it, I was very, very strict with how I worded things. I made sure that it was as close to the, the absolute truth as I could possibly do my truth. And um, that was also the biggest source of pride, that the finishing and the fact that there was no other way I could make that more the truth than I than I did. So oh, I love that. Well, that's a Hemingway quote that I love as well. All you need to do is tell mm-hmm. the truth, write a true sentence, and then yes. write another true sentence. And that's you said you use the word procrastination. I think it's mm-hmm. perfect because it is interchangeable in this concept with mm-hmm. resistance. So mm-hmm. a lot of writers will and I talk a lot about internal editor, but they will uh, critique themselves on not showing up to the page. But especially when you are dealing with something, whether you're writing fiction or non, by the way, because mm-hmm. even fiction has a lot of it is true, uh, mm-hmm. or rather it should have truth, mm-hmm. but we will experience that resistance Mm-hmm. And then we'll get mad at ourselves. Oh, I'm procrastinating. Why am I doing all the cleaning? And there are all sorts of things that come up like overwhelm, especially when you know you'd mentioned something else. And then Lisa, I'd love to get your take on it too, about you knew you were doing it. And especially maybe during those times where you were going to go over something that you knew would trigger, especially mm-hmm. if it's something that you thought I've put the lid on the box. I mm-hmm. never have to take that off again. It's, it's over there, but maybe I'll just start with that. Lisa, what was your experience like in the process of actually writing and trying to show up with all of these truths? Mm. Well, for me, I actually started writing a journal. So my story, well, my journal began when I was diagnosed with bowel cancer. So I was initially using the journal just to explode feelings onto a page which was solely for me. And then I happened to go and see a psychic who said to me, oh, you're writing a story. And I replied, no, I'm writing in a journal about this experience. And she said, no, 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 this is a story. And after that conversation, it had me mulling over that. And I thought, well, maybe I take it from a journal and put it onto my computer instead. And there's something so cathartic about smashing on key. So for me, the process was initially just contemporaneously getting down my feelings. And it goes back to what you were saying, Kristen, in that I wanted it to be honest and real because Mm -hmm. even now looking back over some some of the things I've written, with the benefit of hindsight, if I hadn't captured it contemporaneously, then I think I might have glossed over things Mm. or the bits that, Mm. in hindsight, I know the ending, right? So I might have said, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was at that particular time. So it went from a journal to effectively a contemporaneous beginning of a story, which through the process I started to 
tidy up, so to speak, for someone else to read and so that they would be able to make sense of what I was saying. And then I wrapped that up and thought, I am done. That's as good as it gets. And I sent it out thinking, I will never write another word about this. And what was incredible when I sent it out, the response was, well, that's really great. But everything you've written kind of hovers without an anchor because we don't know anything about you. So why you've reacted in that way to that particular event doesn't really make sense. So it was actually at that point that I took my story, which had hitherto focused on having bowel cancer, to extend it into more of a memoir, because that then made sense of certain reactions, because otherwise they were all untethered. Yes. So I wrote that out and then tried to turn it into a story through the recreation of conversations. And for me, that's probably where the power in my story sits in what people have said to me and how I've tried to recapture their words to make it real. Oh, because, that's interesting. Yeah, mm. because at the end of the day, if someone ever reads my memoir, I want it to be a comfort for them and it needs to be real. If I gloss over things, then what, how does that help anybody? I just don't think it does. And so I wrote as honestly as I could, much in the way you said, Kristen, try not to over-exaggerate, albeit it's part of my natural personality to be a bit eccentric. So there's an element of that in it. But I thought I was as honest as I could be. And again, put the next version out. And the feedback was, this is great. This is really honest. But you don't mention sex during your bowel cancer. And I just put down the comment and went, oh, I can't talk about that. <laughs> and I had to sit with that and go, uh-uh, uh-uh, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then it was that confrontation of, well, what are you trying to achieve? And if your goal is to help someone, mm-hmm. if your goal is to help someone feel a sense of, oh, yes, it's not just me, then you've got to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> well, being willing to go to the places that most people don't want to go, that's what sets the book apart, right? I'm in, I'm in an industry, I read a lot of manuscripts, and I read a lot of published books, and that's the real difference maker. Good writing is great. Everybody loves things that are well-written, but it can't just be written well, a la your story about going and getting an extra diploma. And I'm sure every other type A personality out there would like clap and say, yes, me too. And I have people ask, oh, should I get an MFA? And I mean, you can, but it's not going to help you really. It's not going to help you write the story you need to write in the ways you think it will, because You guys have already talked about the key, which is to show up and share all of it. And if you have that, another way of resistance, resistance to sharing a certain aspect, that's a great big indicator that that's absolutely needed because from a publishing standpoint, and again, this is past the cathartic point, which I'm glad that you guys each of you spent as much time there as you could. But once it goes out, 
to a publisher and that means the reading public, there has to be a hook. You mentioned something really interesting there, Lisa, and I'll ask you about your experience with that too, Kristen, is even for those of us who are looking at journals, right? And then transferring them over, even when we're writing memoir, And one of the really tricky bits for most people writing memoir is this feeling of making it up. And we have to find a space in us because yes, it's your point of view. We want that, but we also need an interaction. Otherwise it's not a story and it's what, like a research paper or an article. And there's nothing wrong with those. I just say, choose what you're writing and then surrender to what that is. And that means that sometimes you're going to be reliving conversations and that internal editor may get in there and say, but you don't remember exactly what was said. You said something really interesting, Kristen, about looking at that balance of wanting to say the whole truth, your truth. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that we know. There's not a CCTV camera that follows us all the time telling us what was said. We have our perception, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we take to our writing. So how did that feel? I'll start with you. And then maybe Lisa, you can sort of expand on that, but how did that feel going back and reliving things? And maybe even how did you do that? How did you prep yourself to go back to a time you knew the facts, Mm -hmm. right? but you were expanding on it, right? You were kind of putting yourself back in there, not taking the 10,000 foot I'm, I know everything in hindsight view, but like I'm in it. How did you attempt or I guess mm-hmm. approach conversations that you had? Was it tricky? Was it easy? Did you give yourself a free pass? What was that like? It is very true that when I, I wrote, I was focusing absolutely, as I said, on on what was my truth. But the interesting thing of that is, is what is what's my truth has also changed over the years what was my truth at that time is not the same as my truth now so because sometimes yes as you pointed out I have looked back at those same conversations and my reaction that is not the same as how my reaction would be now I I did do my goodness I am a a methodical woman and I I pulled out all of uh, letters emails I went back and looked at all of my any, any hard copy kind of evidence that I could find. I even went back to looking at like school reports and what was because I, I wanted to sort of get a, a real feel of I know how it felt for me, but how is that based in the universe? <laughs> how is that grounded? Very much what you were saying, Lisa, and talking about what, what was your truth at the time. My truth was also that I was, my cheeks were burning as I wrote some sections. I did not want to put that down because I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe that was my reaction. But I felt driven to this is this really needs to be part of the story. I mean, it's a part of my my health experience in the book is that I experienced um, eating disorder in my late 20s as a result of the trauma of working in a, a frontline social work role. And dating and relationships is incredibly hard for anybody, in, you know, through their 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond, right? But you think about, you know, how hard it is to you see your, you know, what photos do you pick to put on online um, dating and, and things like that, how body conscious you are when you go out and meet someone for the first time and go out on the first few dates and things like that. Going through all of those things with an eating disorder brings a whole 
different perspective, yeah. a different colouring to what's already agonising experience. And I think it's quite common for, for writers and readers to do the same thing. I haven't seen anyone else write about this before. I'm thirsty to read about another story where someone has a similar experience. So I felt really compelled to write those passages, which made my cheeks flame <laughs> simply because I felt I can't tell the whole story without putting in these the embarrassing bits, the hard bits, the bits where I didn't do as well as I would have liked, you know, all of that, all of that stuff. But you're being vulnerable is what gives other people permission, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. just what you said, you're seeking mm-hmm. other people being real. And this is true. Like I said, whether you're writing fiction or non, mm-hmm. that being willing to show up in those places that you, mm-hmm. as you're writing, I love that visual, like your cheeks are burning as you're doing it. Lisa, how about you? How was it sort of taking the, filling out your story? One thing that uh, occurred to me when you were talking too is I have both of you read Cheryl Strayed's memoir, Wild, or watched the Mm. movie. Okay. So the concept is she is going, she's hiking the Pacific Coast Trail, but that's not like, that is an adventure you had and were being treated for bowel cancer. That is an adventure. But as you experienced when you got the feedback and as Cheryl Strayed did, that's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. And it gave it context. She gave it context by looking at relationships she'd had beforehand, what prompted her, what was that inciting incident to get her to the trail. So there was that story. And mm-hmm. then there was the whole story. And that's what you described doing. Yeah. And then being told now that you did that, <laughs> give us, give us more. <laughs> give us we more. want more. How, want did you, but how did you look at doing those things? Like, and I specifically, I guess I'm asking about things that look like dialogue mm. that well, make you like, Oh, I don't know. Do I remember it? Yeah. Well, I, I did much like what you did, Kristen. I did go back to text messages. So mm-hmm. for example, the day before I was going in for what is called a resection surgery, where they cut out 30 centimetres of my bowel and created a stoma and an ileostomy, meaning that the stoma, I would no longer be able to go to the bathroom the usual way. I was petrified before that. Um, So I went back to look at my text messages to my parents, to my friends and so on to recreate the message that I was trying to send out to the world and to my support group. And looking at those, some of the language I use, it's embarrassing. It was a bit vulgar almost, you know, to to two of my close friends. I said, you know, I'm ready for tomorrow. Game on, bitches. And I thought, oh, I don't, that's a bit, like that's not typically what I would say. But in that moment, I was almost trying to G myself up for this really big surgery. So I thought, well, that needs to go in, even though it's not the outward representation I would choose if I was glossing over my story. I also had written a letter to myself the night the night before I had this surgery because I was so over people telling me it was going to be okay. And I was so over the platitudes and I knew that I was going to be waking up and spending an awful lot of time in hospital knowing that I was going to be literally pooing out of my stomach. 
and dealing with a very fragile body and so on. And I thought, I'm not going to be in a position to deal with people's platitudes on the other side. So I wrote a letter to myself, which I tucked into my suitcase so that when I woke up and when I was struggling, I could reach for that and just know that what I was reading was my truth. Mm. And it was my message that I knew I needed to hear on the other side. So I did have some documentation, so to speak, that I could go to. But otherwise, in terms of the recreation of conversations, some of them were just so memorable that they really stood out very clearly to me. One conversation I had with a doctor very early on in the piece when I said, when I'd just been diagnosed, I said to him, I'm not made for cancer. I I don't think I can do this. And his response was just so clear. And he said, no one thinks they can, but they do. Mm -hmm. And so there were some vignettes or statements or conversations that actually were burned in my memory because they were so powerful in my experience. And then others, it was just trying to recreate whether it was the anger or the frustration or the fear and just trying to think of what would that person normally say to me. So there's once or twice where I'm talking to my husband and, and we have a very beautiful relationship, but there was a point in time where I was thinking of opting out of this surgery. And so for the first time, we were fighting. And so, you know, things like he never calls me Lisa, but all of a sudden in this conversation, he was name dropping, you know, almost like that mother, you know, you've been naughty, Lisa. So just trying to recreate the quirks of the character that I know weave into the conversation in particular moments, such as when I'm in trouble, (laughs) which I get into a bit. Yeah, I, I love that. I like too that you just described the way that you approached it was actually to go back to the feeling and then how do I represent the feeling? Was that similar to you? So even though you may momentarily, hopefully only momentarily chastise yourself for like looking at documentation, which is totally normal, by the way, saying, especially if you are writing something that's autobiographical or a memoir, you want to make sure it's accurate. And I love that. I mean, that's that's good integrity, right? But when you are filling in those places, because all of us, tomorrow, we're not going to necessarily be the same as we are today, right? So rather than second guessing, how do I get myself able to paint a picture of what it was like? And you went to the feelings. Did you find that the same, Kristen? Like you had documentation, so mm-hmm. you knew these were facts, but you're also talking about highly triggering things that are super personal. We're so much less confident in our twenties, right? So, yes, there are some things documents can give you. And there are some things that documents are of no use to whatsoever. As you say, you need to come back to what, what do you know in your heart to be true? I especially found that I think coming towards the, the end, capital T, capital E, for a long period, I really had absolutely no idea how I was going to end this, particularly like what you were saying before too about um, I, I was determined for it to be the truth, but I was also determined to, for it to, it was going to be a hard read, no matter what, I can't tell the story without it being 
a hard read, hard to read, but I didn't want it to be the sort of story that was going to crush people. I wanted to have some kind of ending that was like, oh, that was really hard to read, but I'm glad I found something from it. It was useful. It was there was something from it that was uplifting as well as it being hard to read and that was going to come from the ending and I think if there's anything that I probably would have done differently maybe is that I would have waited a little bit longer to do the memoir so it wasn't quite so fresh because I was literally experiencing a lot of things as I was writing them and maybe that was my first clue as to why it was hard to find an ending because I didn't have an ending yet Mm. you know I hadn't reached that point yet so I think how did I conclude that I, I I did have to dig deep and find a the direction I went with more is what do I want from the future? Where do I want things to head? And and that be kind of came my my direction about how do I end it? I'm not gonna have a solid ending because sometimes these things don't have an ending either. It's not like a here's here's the moment where you are unwell and then the next day here's the day when you're recovered. It doesn't work like that. There isn't there isn't a moment where everything's told all tied up with a neat bow. So by the same token, I didn't want to finish it too neatly as well. I just wanted to, to finish in an area that felt hopeful yeah. and honest um, and pave the way for whatever the future steps for the reader was going to be. Right. I think it's really interesting you bring that up because it's maybe one in addition to, oh, I might be talking about other people and being afraid of, of that aspect of it because we are interacting with others even if we're telling our story Mm. the second biggest hurdle for writers of memoir is where do I finish it what is that container and that's the way that I like to Mm. have people imagine because number one the best memoirists have multiple memoirs which tells you it's not a oh I can only do it when I get to the end of of my life because literally that's the only time we're all the way done right we're we've That's the line that we have on this plane of existence, I would say, where we're sharing these books and we don't want to do that. So what is our natural? And I like that you've you've finally said the word hopeful, which is the thing that was screaming out for me as you were talking. We want to, depending on the story we're sharing, get to a place where it feels like we know the character will wake up the next day. That's it. That's all we've really got control over rather than having it be that really nice bow. The bow is actually in the feeling. So when I'm helping people figure out where do they create that space, it's really a reverse engineering their story by saying, where do you want to end up? And where's the reader ending? When they close the the cover, front and back cover, what do they think, feel, know about Mm. the world based on what you believe is important for them to think, feel, know when they finish the book that's your ending. And what is something that possibly illustrates that, right? Because there are multiple ways you could do it. And I think that's the biggest struggle for someone writing memoir going, oh, but I don't have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Guess what? We're not actually looking for that. We're just looking for she's gone through this and there's hope, i.e. validation for the reader. And this is, I thought you said it beautifully, here are the next steps that they could take. I'm really Mm -hmm. curious just with what you wrote and you're in a different place now, mm. just quickly, do you think you've actually ended up where you thought you would end up or 
better or totally different direction because I've not, I've not actually finished your book. So I don't know what it is, but it's always really fascinating looking at it going, where did you think you would end up? Oh, I would love to scream from the mountaintops. I'm so much happier now. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, I feel like I'm on a whole new planet, you know, like in some ways it feels like it, it was a long, long time ago. And that was a whole different Kristen. In other ways, there's there's certainly parts of it that still feel quite fresh, and I don't think you know one one never forgets you know certain parts of this story, so that's never going to go away. But I feel like there's there's so much for people who are going through this, so much to look forward to. Life is good; it's good. It really it is. Persevere. What about yeah. you, Lisa? With yours, how did you come up with your capital T, capital E, the end, and Yours, your writing process is a little bit closer in time to where you are, but how did you come to it? Did you have similar struggles as Kristen? How did you approach that? Mm, definitely. I, I, you know, I got to the bit where I went, this is now what I want to say. Now I need to end it, but there's no ta-da, you know, ta-da, <laughs> answer is over moment. I mean, you might tip, well, you might actually have concluded cancer treatment, but it doesn't end there. And that was then actually, I I probably, my initial draft, I concluded it at a 12-month period. There was about nine or so months of active treatment and then three, maybe six months of trying to find my way back into the after-cancer world. But What I learned was that, in fact, it was the after-cancer world which was equally as interesting and revealing and illuminating as the cancer world and that what I had experienced in that cancer world was so life-changing, not in any drop-the-mic, grandiose ways, but just in terms of attitude, learning to live with a disability, learning to deal with certain limitations, different approaches that I realised there was a lot of gold, I think, in the after cancer world as much as there was, you know, having had cancer. I certainly wanted to end on a hopeful note like you, Kristen, accepting that it's not always a hopeful end for people who experience cancer. So one of my greatest goals throughout my memoir was to really emphasise This is just my story. These are just some of the feelings and experiences that happened to me. My way was not the right way. It's not the only way, but equally, it wasn't the wrong way. It was just a way. So uh, that was incredibly important to me. Um, I don't use the word journey once because even though it is absolutely a journey, it it seemed a bit more contrived to speak of it in that manner. But I definitely wanted it to be hopeful because for me, even though there are greater challenges for my day-to-day life now than they've ever been, my general levels of happiness, well-being are so much greater than before I had cancer. And again, not in any life-shattering way, I'm just so grateful to be here. Mm. So, yeah, but definitely wanted to end on a bit of hope, but convey the message that that's what life is. It's the ups and downs and everything in between. Yeah, that's it. Well, I'm so glad that each of you finally got to that place 
and answer that question for yourself. And I actually think it's really important, Lisa, you brought something up earlier talking about not exaggeration, but being this grandiose or or like dramatic. And yes, Mm. we actually do want drama, but sometimes the drama is, as I'd said before, in the emotion, Mm. right? We want to feel that sort of the action of something potentially Mm. exploding, but also that at the end of the book too, when you're talking about that, the transformation that we see doesn't have to be some massive explosion. And now everything is different because number one, the next day when you do wake up, we may be at the beginning of another story, right? In fact, we are. And so there are those ups and downs and in between. So giving the reader permission to to feel like it's okay, I'm okay, if every day doesn't feel magical, like Mm -hmm. near-death experiences any of us may have had don't necessarily mean 100% of the time afterward, we don't whinge, we are super grateful in every moment, (laughs) everything is great, everything is beautiful. I think that that sets a really unrealistic bar. And so I like that you've included in your story a little bit of the after showing once you get through that doesn't mean, oh, it's all, you know, rainbows and and gumdrops, Mm. but it's just a different sort of something. And like you were saying, Kristen, you can get to that place where you're like, it's so much better. (laughs) Don't, (laughs) Don't give up. You can have something different. You said something that was really interesting and I've been pondering, this is a bit of a tangent, but listening to music and the way that for me, music brings me back to different places. Sometimes I do feel like we are totally, and maybe on a cellular level, we literally are a different person. However many years, I know different organs take however long to regenerate or replace the cells, I should say, but we kind of are a totally different person. And isn't that amazing? Now you've got this record, right? For the times you want to cringe or the moments of the (laughs) the manuscript or the book that you want to cringe about, but also maybe showing love to that other version of you saying, mm-hmm. wow, you know, she was really copping it, right? She was really going through this tough time. And you've got this beautiful document testimony mm-hmm. that you can go back to. Again, not that we necessarily want to, to but it is there. Mm-hmm. What I'm aiming to see, and sometimes it has taken practice and some time, but I'm enjoying getting older. One of the things I'm looking back at that record, as you're saying, is what joyous complexity, you know, but people are so complex and I love that about other people and now that I'm able in in a place where I'm able to celebrate that kind of complexity in myself as you say I can look back at that record and say wow what an interesting if nothing else I'm able to say what an interesting life I have led (laughs) (laughs) how about you Lisa do you do you go back and read are you still in the process I have now completed um the story and I'm now just starting to shop around to publishers. So that's pretty exciting and terrifying both at once. (laughs) And my approach to the publication side of it is just to be open to whatever comes because that's actually what my story has told me is that the outcome is only part of the story. You, You know, not to be too attached. If it gets published, that's really great. If it doesn't, well, so be it. But 
what writing the memoir has done for me has it's been able to make sense of so much of who I am. It's made me realise that my approach to always try and show the best version of myself isn't always the right approach and that it's in, like you were saying, Kristen, it's in the flaws, it's in the vulnerabilities that's where the gold is. And that's what I learned through the memoir process. And so if at the end of it, it doesn't get published, if no one ever reads it, oh, well, I gained something so magical that there is no way I would have learned and discovered things about myself and about my story, my life story, without having gone through this process. So yeah, it's actually been without question, almost harder than having cancer, which is saying something. (laughs) It's saying something. Beware writers. Yes. It's almost harder than that and challenging and awful. And having to write about something so awful at times, it, it was difficult because the emotions, you don't want to go back there. And so trying to, as you said earlier, put a lid on the box, you know, you want to rush to that point but it's not a rush. And it's actually in the process and back to how we started, it was actually the process of it that I think I certainly feel far more enriched for having gone through this hideous process of cancer. And this hideous process, I can't say any other word than writing a memoir. It's awful. Well, I, yeah, but I think, I think that's it. I'm glad that you also said there is no rushing it. So again, when we use the word procrastinate, that tends to be really self-critical because it's as if we have a choice. We do have a choice. We're doing it. We're doing it. And that is separate. The truth of that is separate. We could be doing it, but I've worked with enough writers to know that there's something else that maybe has to happen. And maybe what has to happen is we have to, like you were talking about in the reading the text back that you sent to your friends, like G yourself up to get to a place where you're like, okay, I see the box. <laughs> I said I was never going to open the box, but I know I want to open the box because it's there that I can explore these things. And you are, you're right. You're giving yourself the gift. Even though when I talk about joy or I use the word fun, it's a relative term because sometimes the fun is in looking back at those things and processing them again. So no doubt about it, ultimately therapeutic, but any of us who have been through therapy also know lots of tears and resistance (laughs) and fighting and regret and dismay at what we did or said, but it's in doing that, that gives you the gift first and then Mm -hmm. the reader next. So I love that you've got that, I guess, that lack of attachment to the ultimate outcome. It's the thing that will see you through for anybody who is considering writing a memoir, what's your biggest piece of advice (laughs) other than beware or give yourself lots of time. What's your best advice, Kristen? Oh, heavens. Yes. Like you were saying, Lisa, that I got tired very quickly of people saying to me, oh, you're writing a memoir. Oh, that must be so amazingly cathartic. I felt like getting a bit violent on occasion. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most excruciating process you can go through. So my advice, I think, is to keep that information. Don't have it in the forefront. Just keep that information on the side. And knowing that information, be so careful with your space and your boundaries and your self-care while you're writing and expect it's going to get really messy. Expect 
that it's going to hurt and that that hurt will kind of come out in weird ways you probably hadn't expected. All the things that you were saying as well before, Lisa, about how the, the, the benefit and Anjanette about the benefits of having gone through all of those things. But I think too, my best piece of advice would be don't do as I did where, where you wrote pretty much as you were going through it. Have a little bit of a delay, a little bit of a buffer zone. It's up to you as to how big that buffer zone needs to be, but allow a little bit of space and also allow yourself the grace to get messy while you're writing. And also expect that actually the hardest part probably won't be the writing. It will probably come afterwards while you're talking about it, uh, that publicity, that putting your baby out there into the universe will also probably be just as hard, if not harder, depending on you. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Lisa? What would be your advice to memoir writers? Look, I think, again, it comes full circle to that point of honesty. And if you don't want to be honest, maybe the memoir is not the vehicle. Yeah. Because firstly, I think you write a memoir for yourself to make sense of an experience or your own story. And if you're not prepared to be honest when it's just you and that keyboard, what benefit is there to any other person? Why would they believe you? Why would they want to listen to what you have to say? And and why would anything you say potentially help them if it's not the truth? So as much as the honesty for me was the most frightening aspect, it was the bit where there was the greatest self-discovery. So I think write first for yourself and for your own story. That's step one. And then step two is think, okay, well, which bits of my story could really help someone else out there? And think about Have I been honest enough so it might help them? Have I been true so that when they're there on a dark night feeling like crap, they've got a book that they're holding in their hands and they go, someone gets me. Someone's just given me a a spiritual hug. And I think you only get there through the honesty. A hundred percent. Oh my goodness. I can talk to you ladies all day. I will will not so we can keep the episode short, but I am so, so grateful for each of you, not only going through the process and laying it all out there for others to read, but for coming on here and chatting a bit about your process. Hopefully we didn't (laughs) trigger too much of the anger, but I think it's really enlightening for people who, like I said, are writing memoir or choosing, maybe I don't want to write memoir exactly, but I'll fictionalize it just as a little hint. We still want truth in there, please. And honesty, but just you can give it to other characters if you want. (laughs) They don't have to be you, but thank you, Lisa and Kristen, so much for coming on today and chatting with us at Writers Talking. And thank you, Anjanette. Thank you so much. And and so lovely to hear your process as well, Kristen. We're not alone. (laughs) You're definitely not alone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.